Hi folks, Tony Lewis here with nothing to promote and it's a new episode and indeed a new sound. What do you think? Our brand spanking new intro and outro music is brought to you by local band Dirty Circus with their impending new release, Sunshine. It also coincides with this week's guest who brought his own kind of rock and roll footballing persona to the Premier League in a highly successful period for Manchester United in the mid-90s. You're about to hear tales from the left wing, from Love Island, and also learning the new lingo as he embarks on pastures new over in Spain. Guest number five is my favourite Manchester United number five, the one and only Lee Sharp. Right, good morning, Chief. How are you over there? I'm all good, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm just absolutely buzzing about this one. I've got to admit, it's um, a bit of a surreal fanboy moment. You know, they say you should never meet your heroes, but I thought, fuck it. You know, so I'm going to ask you for Mark Hughes' number. <laughs> I was waiting for someone to come there. Yeah, I mean, I've been waiting, trying to tie you down for episode five, trying to do it chronologically, because I thought that's a good place to start. Because you ended up as squad number five. How did that come about? It's a bit of a random number for a left winger. It is. It was um, as soon as squad numbers come in. Um, Pally, the, the two, it's usually a centre backs number, isn't it? And Pally didn't like wearing five. He liked wearing six. Bruce always wore four. Uh, Giggs, he got given 11. Um, so there was only five left. One, two, eleven. There was only five left. And, and funnily enough, I went, I went into asking after the first season. I said, "Can I not change my number? It's a bit of a centre half number." He went, "No, you're sticking with it. Get out of my office." So that was, <laughs> that was about as long as the conversation lasted. <laughs> so it's just that you wanted a number from one to eleven, as if it was like <clears throat> mentally a starting eleven kind of number. Yeah, I, I suppose when you look at it like that, because I was from one to eleven, I was uh, I was getting a good number, but. Uh, Obviously, as a young lad playing left wing, you want to be a little bit more glamorous. And I can't remember a glamorous number five anywhere, so I just wanted to change. But in the, in the end, I quite, I quite warm to it. It's quite nice. If you look up the meaning of number five, it's quite interesting. Yeah, because you've got into it. What number would you want to change into? Well, as a, as, a, as a kid, I always wore number 11. So that was that was pretty much always my number. So, uh, But obviously, he gave that to Giggsy, so... Uh, I have to pick someone else. But when you went to him and asked him to change, what would you have changed to? Uh, well, I, I mean, seven, ten, or eleven are the, are the three numbers I would have gone for. But the serious competition, no, no, mate. Well, do you know what? I played number seven twice and scored both times in it. I think I scored at trick at Ivory and then the and then the winner at Everton. I, scored, I played number ten once or twice and scored and, and played well in that. Um, but obviously. Never going to get them ones on. <laughs> so, number nine would have been nice. I'd have took, I'd took number nine, to be fair. But my legendary number five, I tell you what, I was leading to that. Just, and it, this is not going to be about numbers and stuff. But do you know when Cantona came in the club and the, you know, the squad numbers were issued and he got seven and Robbo went to number 12, didn't he? Was there a bit of a kind of, hang on a minute, you can't do that to Brian Robson. You know, was was there anything kind of said or thought about that within the ranks? Well, yeah, I mean, when, when there's, there's always a bit of banter going on. Just we we thought that when he came in, and 
there's no way he can get seven when he comes in because Robson's there. And then Robson got put to number 12, which we were all shocked about. But I think uh, there must have been some sort of conversation that took place between Robson and the manager. Uh, and, it, and it may have cost the manager a few quid to, to swap the numbers over because uh, Robson was always, num- always number seven. So, um, yeah, there's, there's been some proper number sevens at the place, haven't there? But, yeah, Robson, I think, sort of knew he was going to be a bit of a squad player that year and uh, was there as much as a motivator and, and still a leader and an off-the-field captain because he didn't play as much. Um, but, yeah... We, we, we couldn't believe in the dressing room that Robson had got number seven. Yeah, just bizarre, like, looking at it. You know, he just never suited the number 12, did he? But I suppose Eric didn't do bad in that seven role, no. did he? So, listen, Mike, I mean, speaking of Cantona, we we will adhere. I know you probably don't like speaking about the celebrations and all that now, but you seem to have quite a good rapport with him on the field. We'll go about the sharpest shuffle and stuff like that, but one of the most famous celebrations for me is when you've got hold of each other's heads you know I just find it so intense and in the moment and you you know we kind of go on about dance routines for celebrations now but that where you've just got each other in a moment which is just instant and perfectly captures a, a celebratory moment what what are you thinking when you're looking at each other's eyes and just screaming at each other you know what I mean yeah that's uh <clears throat> That's probably one of my favourites, man. I've always done the dancing for a bit of a lap after I've scored, but uh, I think that was at Main Road, yeah. and, and I've, we, we've we've gone on the counter attack again. I've gone I've gone down the wing. The ball, to be fair, bobbling all over the place. It's one of the best crosses I think I've ever put in in my life. Uh, full tilt, bobbling, and I've sort of managed to catch it on the off volley and just clip it into an area where he's not had to break stride. He's, he's nodded it straight in the bottom corner and. Uh, yeah, I, I got on well with him. I mean, I, I socialised with him a little bit. Sat right next to him in the in the dressing room at the training ground. Um, so we got on, and yeah, and that that photo is uh, is pretty iconic to me. I, I absolutely love it. It just sums up the game, the era, the player. It was just uh, just a great celebration. I, I had a similar one in Europe, in in the derby as well. It was just one of them games. I had a similar one with Keeney. Uh, I set Keeney up in a European game and we sort of grab shirts and just like pull each other. Um, but yeah, the Cantonal one where we're both holding heads is is a great picture. Oh yeah, a, top, a million percent, man. I mean, you obviously, and you have to in a speak and you adhere to the Cantonal story and, you know, let's not go over old ground and what have you because I don't want anybody to spoil it for when you're getting back to it. But, I mean, looking on on that, what were you just going? What the fuck is going on here? It, it was, it, it is. I mean, it's one of them things that you just don't see. You've never seen it before. You've never seen it since. Uh, and we're just on the pitch going, what is he doing? The manager's going to kill him after this game. You can't get away with anything like that. And then when when he walked in the door, I mean, he got away with he got away with murder all the time. And one of the best times when we went to uh, um, the town hall. Every, every pre-season, if we've won something the season before, we're into the town hall with all the local mayors, the Lord Mayor, and we're all sat at different table. We all have to turn up suited and booted. It's sort of mid-July, boiling hot. Uh, and I turn up in this sort of green silk suit with like a rusty-coloured shirt and tie combo that was, I thought it was Don Johnson just stepping off my boat. Uh, and then the manager walks in. What the, you know, you're wearing. 
I went, this, the invite said, suit shirt, Tom. I've got a suit shirt and tie. He went, look at the lads. Blue suit, black suit, grey suit. Look at you. I'm in green suit. What are you doing? I went, well, it never said black suit, blue suit or grey suit on the, on the invite. And then just as the manager's bollocking me, I turned around in Canton and walked through the door. He's got a Nike baseball cap on, black suit, white shirt, no tie, pair of red Nike trainers on. I said, if you're going to have a go at me, you're going to have a go at him. And just went, ah! <laughs> just walked off. I was like, what is that all about? Uh, he just he just never said a word to me. He's like, he's like, like his long lost son. Listen to an interview you did. And I think there's a tinge of sadness as a fan listening to that kind of strain on your relationship between you and the gaffer. I mean, is it is it still not is he still not somebody you receive a text off or could speak to or anything like that? No, I mean ever since I've left the club, I've never tried to talk to him or spoken to him or like like I said, I went I went back a couple of years after leaving to do the player of the year awards and he just totally blanked me. So um no, I mean it was just it was never one of those relationships where we where we chatted. I don't think he understood. I think that's because because you only I'm saying only came to the club at like 17. Are you 17 when you came from Torquay? Which is a bit of a detour, isn't it? Going Birmingham to Torquay up to Manchester at an early age, you know what I mean? But some of the lads who've been on the whitey early doors from like 14, 15, do you think that he never kind of had that control over you because he didn't get into you that early doors? Do you think that was part and parcel of it? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I think when you look back and you saw the lads that have been there, like you say, from 12, 13, a lot of them even, even younger than that, they're sort of inbred into the structure of the club and I'd come in a little bit differently. When I came in at 17, I was only sort of 12 months out of school. Uh, I played first team at Torquay. I left home and began a bit of freedom in, in the digs at Torquay. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to to learn the game and, and, and improve my game and I, and I don't think he really helped me do that without bollocking me um, and when you're getting bollocked and you're playing well you're playing poorly sorry you're not really sure what you're supposed to do with the information you're given and uh, and, and I suppose in the end I got to the stage where I didn't want to listen to him because all it was 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 a negative put down and um, it wasn't helping my game so at times I went out and just did my own thing and didn't listen to him and told him where to go. And that's that's as much as I could do to, to sort of blank him out of my head. Um, but I never I never sort of really went out playing with full freedom and, and feeling like I could express myself because I knew as soon as I made a mistake, he was going to jump on me. If I didn't have the greatest game, he was going to jump on me. Um, so it was, uh, it was a bit of a mentally tough time, um, to say the least. Is that something now, being older, that you kind of can reflect on and wish that you'd treated things different? There's now obviously a big stigma of mental health within any community, regardless of it being a footballing community. Do you think that now players' well-being mentally is far more pivotal than it was? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think. Uh, I'm not sure managers. Still managed the way that he did. It was it was a different era. You know, it's a different time. You can't you can't sort of say he shouldn't have done it because everyone was doing it at that time. It was just all about aggression and um, and, and nailing people. And, and that's just it was just a lads lads dressing room. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've spent 
a lot of times analysing what went on, how I should have dealt with it differently, uh, how he should have dealt with things differently. Uh, but like I say, it was an era, it was a time, it was just the way things were done back then. Um, and, and in many ways, I was fortunate to play in that era, but it just meant that you had to forego some of the, uh, I suppose, mind awareness stuff that, that goes on today. And, and that's, you know, to, to every walk of life, I think is the same. I think everybody's more encouraging these days. And um, whereas before it was do this, do this. What's happening? It was just you're getting nailed if you're doing things wrong. So uh, just an era. Uh, I've sort of got myself over it. Eventually, it's taken me many years to sort of get over it, but uh, I know he was just doing his best. I was just doing my best. It was just one of them things that we didn't get on. Maybe a victim of your own success. I suppose that's a way of looking at it. Have you ever never looked at it? He maybe did. The tough love was because he felt so much for you, or do you think the retrospective action of him not being in touch and the relationship you have on a non-relationship now, do you think that that's kind of defies that point? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I used to come in after games and say, I need to leave. He just doesn't like me. He's just caning me. He's caning me for the for the friends I've got, for the clothes I wear, the car I drive. Um, you have got some dodgy clothes. You know, he's just, oh, well, I, I needed caning me, you know what I mean? Incredible, you know, you got sometimes you've got to take it. Um, but then again, you know, as, as a 19 year old, 20 year old kid who wants to take fashion sense from a 45, 50 year old bloke, you know what I mean? So, so there's, yeah, like as you say to me, mom, like, he doesn't like me, I need, I need to leave me. Mom, I say, no, he does like me, that's why he's on to you. I was like, well, if you like someone mm. and you want them to play well, you don't tell them they're rubbish and this, that, and the other. You, you, you sort of put, yeah, you might shout at someone and bollock them straight after the game in the heat of the moment. But then on Monday or Tuesday, you've got to say, right, this is what you were doing wrong. This is how we're going to put it right. And this is what, how you do this. And this is what you do about this situation. And this is what you do with this. And there was absolutely none of that. There was no pulling us in to, to make things right that, I'd, that what I'd done wrong over the weekend. It was just go and sort yourself out. And as a 19, 18, 19-year-old kid, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. I think... Just as a fan looking on, and as a fan who performs and puts a mask on on stage and smiles, you know, regardless of what's going on, I think the surprising thing is, is that you were such a fan favourite because you played with such a smile on your face. You played the game like every fan wanted to watch. You know, you were direct. You talk about, like, one of the best crosses against City, against Cantona, but, man, I think that your, your crossing ability was up there with the best we've seen at Old Trafford. And it just that kind of your attitude towards the game as it appeared to us was infectious to the crowd, crowd. And that's why the crowd love you so much. Obviously, the celebrations are kind of folklore with you, aren't they? But that's what brings the crowd into the game, that you're all celebrating together. It's it's when the crowd meet the player, isn't it? The celebration. It's, it's unity. It's united. Yeah, and, that, and that's, you know... That, that's what made me want to be a footballer. I used, I used to be a Villa fan as a kid. Uh, Tony Morley and Gary Shaw were my heroes. Tony Morley, the, the left winger that was quick, went past people, ran at people. And I remember I didn't go to games that often because in the 80s, football grounds weren't the most friendliest of places to be at. 
And as a young kid, my mum didn't like me travelling to the other side of Birmingham to go to a game. So I didn't get to that many, but when I did, I was still on the alt end. I wanted to get fans on the edge of the seat. I wanted to get that roar, that those goose pimples, um, the, the electricity in the ground. And, and that's what I played as. I played as a fan. I was a fan. Um, and, and part of my argument to the manager after me scoring a goal and doing a celebration was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating with the fans of having 20 seconds. I don't know how many goals I'm going to score in my career. I don't know how long this is going to last. It's not going to last forever. I'm just going to enjoy myself for 20 seconds after it. I'm not, I'm not celebrating and doing dances when we're 3-0 down and I've just scored yeah. one. I'm doing it when we've equalised or when, we, when, when I've scored a winner. So, um, if you, if, you know, you've got to afford me the luxury of enjoying and celebrating the little success that I've just had and, and, and celebrating it with the people that want to celebrate it and that's, and that's the fans and, you know, scoring away at Everton right in front of our fans, scoring at Old Trafford. Um, it was just an incredible feeling and, and um, he didn't want me to do the dancing. I don't know whether he wanted me to celebrate at all, but it seemed <laughs> I was getting caned for doing the good things as well as doing the bad things. So, I mean, you were the kind of a solo, let's call you a, a solo um, celebrationist. Is that even a fucking word? But then when you see like gig, <laughs> gigs in ints, kind of do the knees and the and shit. What? I mean, did they get absolutely bollocked for that? Or were you a bit gutted that it wasn't a triangle to celebrate? What? You know what I mean? Is Was there a kind of um, a constant with Fergie kind of saying, well, you shouldn't be doing that because you look like absolute pricks? Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not sure if, uh, if Fergie ever pulled them to in and said, listen, don't try and keep up with Sharpie. You've got no chance. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not sure whether they whether they got um, a telling off or a talking to from the manager. I have no idea, but I'm glad I wasn't involved. The old little knee tap and hand sliding and it was, it was a bit too camp for me, if I'm honest. You might have done your knee there, actually. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, listen, that's the deeper, meaningful stuff out of the way because we want to see you smiling, like, oh, we remember you playing. Um you go on and go on about the goals you scored. You scored some absolute dreams, by the way, didn't you? You know what I mean? I mean, the ones that stand out for me are Barca flick, aren't they? I think the first one at Highbury, well, you bent it in with your right foot, didn't you? Top bag. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Beaut. Um, our title track on the pod had just come from a local band called Dirty Circus. Stevie Earn, the guitarist in there, uh, he was part of the Lee Sharp fan club, and he wants to know which, oh. which is your which is your favourite ever goal. Was it was it a United goal? Yeah, I think. I mean, uh, yeah, the back the back heel against Barcelona has got to be right up there. I think the, the the occasion on the night never been beaten at home until that night went two one down and saved the home record in Europe. Uh, the, the crowd were just immense. European nights are always special occasions at the club and um, the atmosphere was electric. So to score that against um, against Barcelona was incredible. And then a few off the top of my head, um, yeah, the, fir- the first one of the hat-trick at Highbury was uh, was one of them sort of swingers, really, where you just, it just comes to you, you just think, Do you know what, why not? I'll have a pop. I'm, I'm, my body's on the momentum of this is where it's going. But also, uh, I scored a volley at Everton, where it sort of come out the air. It's drums, and, and yeah. I just smashed it in the top corner against Neville Southall. 
Um, there was another, I scored a scissor kick at Old Trafford against Stoke in the League Cup, I think he was. I think it was yeah. Russell Beardsmore that crossed it in and I shouted to Chockey to flick it and he flicked onto me and I sort of scissor kicked it, the back stick into the, the top corner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then a couple of others I would, I would remember would be, um, I scored two at Villa. The second one was a one-on-one where I got put through against Mark Bosnich. Uh, never easy to score on one-on-one, but to keep my composure to just side foot in the corner was a nice one. You just really kind of slow yourself down for that, don't you? You know, instead of like banging on, yeah. you slow yourself down and just compose and then just slide it past him. I mean, that, I think that was, one yeah. of, that was one of the first Monday night games in the 93-94 season. I've got a weird memory yeah. like that. I mean, that kit would have been... Unbelievable game, yeah. I mean, the black kit, sharp view cam. Uh, Villa were up there with us, challenging for the league as well. Uh, it was a real entertaining game. Hustle, bustle, high tempo. So to get two in that game and two different goals as well, slid in. And the and back. Sort of brave, brave. Back. So, yeah, I thought I thought, I thought Earl Barrett was going to clear it, so I was just going to block it. In the end, I got there a bit before him and, and managed to put it. And then the last goal I'd say would be uh, I scored one in the black kit again. Uh, away at Sheffield United I was actually for some reason on the right wing I don't know whether I was playing there at the time or whether I'd just taken a corner or something but um, someone I was in to see again slotted me in and from just outside the box I beat it first time with left foot and curled it around the keeper so that was a, another nice one I remember so yeah I scored a, scored a few nice ones to be fair Going back to that Villa game because you were a Villa fan you know they were your boiled club what does it feel like to score against the team you supported is that kind of a, a strange feeling? It is. It is a little bit strange. Uh, you do get caught in the moment, and um, you know it's. You sort of think about it before you get before the game. I'm playing against Villa, but then once the game starts, um, to be fair, I, I always felt a little bit more motivated against them than I wanted to do well against them. Uh, always found myself playing pretty well against Villa. Usually scored against Villa as well. I scored a few times against Villa. Um, and it was always funny that uh, the, the Villa fans used to sing Lee Sharp as a Villa fan, <laughs> uh, which, was, which was quite, I'd, I'd be like, ah, shh. Bit of a backhanded compliment now, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, it, you know, it would, it would have been nice to have uh, played from at some point, but that obviously never happened. I always felt Villa Park was always a great place to go. The pitch was always immaculate. Yeah. A great stadium to play at, so. The fans always could get on the pitch as well there, can't we? The fans yeah, always get involved. Uh, you know what I mean? It's close. Um, I've got to say, your first goal was against Millwall, 5-1. I think that was 89. You know what? I was at that game. That was, I think, my second ever United game. My dad just said on the morning, right, you and your brother, Scott, who ended up being, bizarrely, the ball boy in the first season of the Premier League at United. Right. Just some random useless facts for you there, pal. And uh, you usually scored a trick, didn't he? Yeah. I think Robbo scored as well. I missed Yuzi's last goal because my dad was running them, come on, let's miss the traffic kind of thing. But, you know, 5-1. But right, who yeah. scored the Millwall goal that day? Who scored the Millwall goal? Um, Big, I don't know, would it have been... Big United connection. Who was it? Teddy. Teddy Sheringham. Oh, was it Teddy really, wasn't it? You know, so it's weird how wow. it's in full circle, isn't it? No, yeah. weird, weird, weird. So, mate, um, 
we can see, well, not by that background, but you're over in Spain at the moment. Is that kind of a semi-permanent move with everything that's going on? Yeah, well, it, 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 we, we came over, the, the father-in-law came here 20 years ago, so uh, he's got a few friends over here that he put us in touch with. He, he rented a place for, for a year for all the family to sort of use and to and fro and have holidays together. With, with lockdown, um, he couldn't get over. He, he also got taken ill, so I had to have a bit of treatment. Uh, so we came over, funnily enough, a two-week holiday. We went, we'll, we'll go over, we'll have a look at the house, we'll see what it's like, and then we'll come back. And we've never been back since the middle of October, well, since the start of October. Um, so, so we're working on full-term residency, which is not easy after Brexit. I'll tell you, it's, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we, we love it here. It's, it's a great place. Kids love it. Kids are on the beach nearly every day. Um, outdoor life. It's absolutely stunning. So, yeah, we're working on being full-time here. And so, bizarrely, like, no living in Spain is the party. I know you went to Sampdoria for a short spell, but is a party you kind of wishes you'd spent a bit of time abroad, a bit more? Yeah, well, do you know what? It's funny because even when I played, if, uh, people used to ask me, oh, what, you know, if you, if you leave United, where would you go? And I always said I'd like to come to Spain. Uh, I've, I've always liked Spain as a destination I've always liked the weather the, the football's always seemed to seem quite um, entertaining is not the word but I've, all, I've always liked the sort of players playing in the sunshine you've always had loads, loads of ticker tape on the pitch and there's always been really good atmosphere games I've watched um, and, and funnily enough um, Jordi Cruyff came to Old Trafford the season I left he came so he came the start of pre-season I left at the end of pre-season so we, we only had I don't know, four or five weeks together. But we played a game pre-season. We sat in the jacuzzi. Uh, a few of us, we'd done a swim in a hotel pool, sat in the jacuzzi after training. And Jordi Cruyff turns to me, he said, Sean, he said, uh, how come you've never gone to Barcelona? Signed for Barcelona. I was like, Jordi, they've never come in, in for me. They've never been interested. He said, you were at the top of my dad's shopping list for two years. Really? He said, I'm sure they did come in for you. I was like, you are kidding me. <laughs> I was like, I never knew that. So, uh, who knows? You know, it would have been nice to have played for Johan Cruyff for Barcelona. Um, but no, it's certainly a lot more difficult trying to learn Spanish when you're nearly 50 than it would be when you're about 20, I would have thought. Oh, is the lingo going over there, mate? Habla uh, <laughs> Espanol? Poco, uh, poco. Poquito. Es mierda. <laughs> Yeah. Do you, do you speak it? I might just broken biscuits. Usually it's in a beater after a, a gig and I've got in a taxi and I'm just asking him to take me some, to some bar and find me somewhere that's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I remember being on a stag and the lads in the back were kind of going, where the fuck have you got all this Spanish language from? You know what I mean? <laughs> more, more, let's say, alcohol. The better my Spanish got. It was just like, you know, just give you a bit of Dutch courage to speak the lingo. And like when me and my missus first went to Ibiza, she was like, she kind of got a bit turned on by it. She was like, I quite like this, you know what I mean? So I try and speak as much as I can, pal. <laughs> but I tell you what, I don't know whether you remember. So obviously, watching you as a fan, then, you know, listen, we're not mates. We've got you in my phone. I'm sure you regret this last couple of weeks, me absolutely pecking you to get on here. But then we met. Uh, on yeah. West, on, on, <laughs> on Westy's stag do, you know what I mean in uh, in Maggers. Do you remember going on that? 
his first one. That's right, yeah, yeah. First one. And I remember yeah. um, there was like mitts and obviously wiggle, stuff like that. I'm not sure if your kid was on there. Um, and I remember you sat at a bar and, you know, everybody, you had your top off and we could see this tattoo that's been kind of become famous and what have you. And everybody was arm wrestling. And I remember Craig's, Wiggles brother saying, you, you'll take Sharpie. And I was like, I can't arm wrestle like a footballing hero. And anyway, I destroyed your pal twice, left and right. So <laughs> I don't know about it. No. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's not an accomplishment. My, I'm not an arm wrestler at all, let me tell you. Can't brag about that. Have you seen these little boys? Yeah, maybe the prick just got up and kind of give it to three amigos, I think. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> clever. But I, mean, I think you left today. Yeah, I think you tried, you almost signed for a club in America. So I, we woke up and it was like, Sharp, he's gone. He's gone looking for a new club. Because we also, do you remember Bradford playing Fiorentina at Valley Parade? Fiorentina. It was some kind of exhibition game and, and Westy kind of invited his over. And the next day he got sold to Chef Wednesday. So he come out, I remember watching the game with Ash, um, Michael Dubry. And then we kind of watched the game and then you played in the game. I think like Nuno Gomez played for Fiorentina. They were in like in the infamous purple strip. And then we come into the, into the bar after and Fiorentina's bus had been robbed by all the Bradford youth team. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that. It's when like they had DVD players and they come in and all the eye ties were kicking off. It's just like, you know what I mean? One of them bizarre moments in life where you kind of go, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> yeah. There was some, there was some room, like, young lads at Bradford, let me tell you. Yeah, Ash Westwood being one of them. I've watched you play football. I've been on a stand do, do with you and smash you in an arm wrestle. <laughs> I've, I've met you at Bradford when uh, Fiorentino have had the... T- coach turned over and then I ended up on a gig in Birmingham for La Senza with you me you and like 300 La Senza birds I mean what could possibly go wrong with that and I end up singing angels with you in the bar afterwards and it's just like that I, I should just retire there and I think uh, I, I did I, I retired <laughs> my uh my my singing mark that night it was never going to get any better than that. But <laughs> because I know that your persona, as we've said previously, because you're such, you express yourself so much on a football field with your actual talent and your celebration. You do. You're not an overly confident person off the field, are you? You know, you you not shy and reserved, but you're not forthcoming, and you're not like I'm. I'm Lee Sharp, as some footballers are and as some personalities are. You know, you're quite, you, you, I always find you a modest guy. You know, you're very polite. You, you're quite honest and sincere. But there is kind of a performance side to you, isn't there? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not in your face confident. Let me get up and be the, be the centre of attention. Uh, I think uh, I, do, I do like to be in a good place with good people having a good time. I think the atmosphere and the, and the vibe around the place when, when people are enjoying themselves and there's a lot of good people around is, is always a nice place to be. <clears throat> but no, I'm certainly not the lead singer of the band, <laughs> but I'm not shy and retiring and underconfident, if you know what I mean. 
the opportunities afforded to you by being um, a footballer, you know, and a very famous one and a very successful one at that, you know, it's kind of brought you all kind of different opportunities, we're saying. Um, obviously, the, you kind of, the first Love Island. I mean, <laughs> that has now become a phenomenon, hasn't it? The programme itself. But, I mean, you, you was, yours was like 2005. I mean, somebody's had a mad idea there, aren't they? Let's get, you know, how many was it? The 10 celebrities or something. All single turns and let's try and get them together. Yeah, it was it was a bizarre. I mean, there, there were there were twelve of us all together, six lads, six girls, and uh, someone pitched it to me. I was I was actually doing celebrity wrestling for ITV. End up getting breaking a couple of ribs, and at the end of it, they said, "Oh, you know, you you broke a couple of ribs, not moaned about it. Let's get you on Japan to this uh, Love Island uh, five weeks in Fiji." I thought, "Well, do you know what? I'll, I'll I'll go on it. It's decent money. I can get a two week holiday, get a bit of a tan." be a bit boring and just come home and I end up being there for five weeks coming runner up and having a great time um, if not a little bit boring because they wouldn't allow us to have a drink too often um, but no it was, it was I mean as, as, as far as profile it was unbelievable yeah you weren't on the bomb head one were you where he absolutely lost the plot but Danan did a, that quite well didn't he <laughs> did, did it, well Danan Danan was let me tell you, Delan was great entertainment. And if he hadn't have been there, it wouldn't be even more boring. And I think the show probably would have crashed if uh, if Paul Delan hadn't been on it. He was he was electric. Yeah, because that's right. Because him, Callum, and Fran all got a bit of a spin-off, didn't they? Was it Callum? Was it got was it called like Best Fran and Dangerous Danan or something like that, wasn't it? <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, they travelled around America doing stupid stuff. Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, man. And you've you just mentioned the celebrity wrestling as well. I think that that's with that being Saturday night TV, that was something I, I miss you being in the spandex there. You know what I mean? As the shot. I weren't in it for long and broke my ribs straight away. But uh yeah, that was that was a that was a mental show as well. But yeah, I've I've, I've done some weird and wonderful stuff, but some amazing people and amazing times to be fair. But it's all experiences, isn't it, mate? You know what I mean? It's lending yourself to yeah, and- exposure and it's paying bills people think that just because you're a footballer you're not going to work again but that's not i you know necessarily the case you've still got a you've still got a lifestyle and bills and family to upkeep and stuff like that so why not i think people thrown upon people going on reality tv but it's definitely a paycheck but it's also opportunity like you say five weeks in fiji to get paid to do it i think that people kind of miss the point there but what i want to say is and I don't know whether I've kind of had some kind of mad dream about this because I can't find fuck all about it. But did you launch your own brand? No, uh, no. It was um, when I was at United, I got sponsored by Pony. And part of the deal was they do my, the uh, Elise Sharp range. Um, right. I think they just do it as a cop out, really, because they say, they say they're going to do your range and it'll make X amount of money and it'll go towards the contract and actually. It's been proven time after time that unless you're Michael Jordan or <laughs> Tiger Woods, your range actually doesn't make a penny and they just knock it off the bill that they owe you at the end. So, Yeah, was the logo for that, was it kind of a hashtag? Yeah, it's the sharp sign. It's the sharp sign in music, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe like, if, yeah. if you're entitled to a bit of a 
a payback of some hashtags. Mate, you'll be a fucking billionaire. You know what I mean? It's, that's what it's... No, penny, penny, a penny every hashtag would do, mate. Uh, yeah, it was it was sort of a spin. We, we used to, a couple of lads in school used to do like a bit of graffiti names and all that. And I just go, I used to write Lee and that hashtag sign, which is sharp. Yeah. And then po- Pony saw it somewhere and said, oh, what a great idea. And we'll use that as your brand sort of signature, if you like. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because when I'm singing, people call me flat. <laughs> <laughs> So you won't know that means sharp. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, I've heard you sing, to be fair. Yeah, man. Well, let's hope we can do it again sometime. Get us over to uh, Espanol. I owe you a gig after this anyway. So that you, you will do, yeah. Um, we just touched upon it before you broke up. Do you know when you're playing on novelty records and having number one hits with status quo, were you on the one after as well? Was it MC Striker or something like that as well? Were they, were they kind of experience that you kind of enjoyed and enhanced and, you know, went full throttle? I can see probably Pally and people like that being a bit off guard with it, but you, I know you had a rather famous sparkly silver drum kit at your house. Were you, was that something that you kind of embraced and just grabbed all and thought, yeah, I'll have a go on this? Now, do, you, do you know what generally happens? You, you get you get to a recording studio, all the players don't think they can sing, they don't want to be there, Um Everyone's shuffling towards the back. Everyone's got their backs against the wall that are as far back as they can possibly be. And we got there and obviously status quo. I used to listen to a bit of status quo as a kid and, um, you know, the icons, heroes, whatever you want to call them. And we get there and everyone's like, I don't want to do that, don't want to do that. Shuffling back, shuffling back. I think, do you know what? We're going to be here all day unless someone just gets to the front, makes a fool of himself, gets a couple of photos and then we can all do one and get out of here. So generally it was me and one or two others. So I grab a guitar. I've got a great picture now with me and status quo and all the, all the team behind me, which is an unbelievable picture. Uh, but it wasn't something that, uh, it wasn't something I was particularly comfortable with. It was just something that I thought, let's get, get it done and, and get out of here and we can do something we want to do. So, uh, and then, and DJ striker, he was in the dressing room, jumping on the seats and dance floor. I don't think, I don't think I got anywhere near involved in that one, but, Status I was quality, that day. My mate's dad took us to the cliff. All of a sudden, he set up like these sound systems. And it was just like, all this music started blowing out. And it was going, what the fuck's going on? And then he come out and performed this. It was, you know, just a random kind of thing. You know what I mean? But it just... It was, yeah. You know, memories that kind of stick with you. DJ Strike was just... I mean, it's horrific, isn't it? It was mental. You know... <laughs> So really, at least I can say I've had a number one record in a gold exactly, record. man. And that's that's kind of my point. That from the opportunities you were given, it looks like you've kind of taken a lot of it with both hands. Well, yeah, I, I think you know if you, if you if you shy away from something and you don't get involved, I think you're you're missing a trick. You know, you've got, you've got to embrace every opportunity you can with both hands, and I think you've got to enjoy every minute of it because. You can't take yourself too serious. I'm always under the impression that, you know, there's a great saying, don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out alive. And and I think a lot of people need to listen to that and take it in a little bit because people, I mean, yeah, life's serious, but if you're going to worry about it and complain about it, you're going to miss out on the good bits. And I think you've got to make the most of the good bits. See that, keep your sense of humour and see the, 
see the funny side of most things and and life is pretty good. Top man, it's a great philosophy that, especially everything that you've kind of experienced and fulfilled as you've fulfilled a lot of, you know, kids' dreams, haven't you? You know what I mean? Turning up to Old Trafford, pulling on that red shirt, scoring in front of the Stratford end, celebrating on a knee slide and digging and nearly breaking your kneecap there, digging in on the turf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you get... You get, you get Pay you when you take your chance, don't you? Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. <laughs> but maybe that celebration kind of sums up your philosophy there that, you know, in for a penny, isn't it? You know, when do you get a chance to do that? And how many people would love to do something like that? You know, but kind of you were... Mate, you, yeah. you were one of the first poster boys as the Premier, Premier League kind of came into fruition. And, like, my brother was a massively Sharp fan. He had, you know, Sharp 5 on the back of the black kit that we spoke about previously. Um, and he had the wallpaper. I think there was you, Keeney, um, Andy Cole, and maybe Giggs on there. You know, what do you ever kind of think, I mean, to have a poster, every now and then, bizarrely after a gig, if somebody takes a picture of me and has me as their... Uh, profile picture I'll find that a bit weird but for you to be a million levels above that and for your portrait to be on pillowcases and pyjamas you know what I mean is that how do you get your head around that boy uh, it, it sort of becomes normal um, I think when you I think when you're actually in it it's a bit diff, it's a bit different to seeing the outside looking in if you know what I mean um, it's funny because the, the the misses now uh, obviously wasn't with her when when I when I played football and certain things come up and people write certain things about me or do a piece in, in the paper or whatever or, and she well you you were actually quite big and quite good weren't you and like yeah I, sp- I suppose I was really um, but I think when you're in it and you're just concentrating from week to week on game to game you sort of miss a lot of the surrounding stuff that goes with it. Um, you sort of have a couple of lads that you knock around with you go to the same bar or restaurant you sort of spend a lot of time in the house on your own to be fair when, you, when you're single in between games uh, so, so you miss a lot of the hype you don't I didn't really read too many papers or magazines um, so you sort of do cocoon yourself a little bit and you miss a lot of it and it's not till after and then you sort of think well yeah that was quite big that was quite big Um so yeah, you do you do miss it a lot. And I suppose that lends itself to what you said before. Are you kind of beating yourself up about that relationship with um it's just Alex Ferguson then, Sir Alex as he is now? I mean, that mental state, just being on your own, can only kind of associate when I'm traveling or cruising or flying long distance and you're on your own and you're kind of processing the gig or processing something that might have happened at home, probably a bit too much time on your own. You know what I mean? Is that probably a good evaluation of it? Probably overthinking things. Oh, without, without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, that, that is one thing that a sportsman will have and that is a lot of time to think and a lot of time on your own. And um, your thoughts are, your thoughts are what your world is around you. You know, whatever you're thinking however you think about something is how the world portrays itself to you and, and a lot of time you know we would play a game on a Saturday whether I played well or whether I played badly my mates my cousin a couple of the lads whatever it is we'd, we'd go out for a couple of beers after just so we could sleep and, and drop the adrenaline levels um, Sunday would generally be spent 
uh, well, I had a Sunday league team at one point that I was managing that my mate used to play. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes we'd, we'd, we'd maybe go for a couple of drinks with them afterwards. But generally, Sunday was on the couch, staring at the telly with yesterday's game going through my head, the good bits, the bad bits. Uh, if I played well, you know, I've got to maintain that standard for the next game. If I played bad, I've got to build myself back up and sort out why I played, played bad and to get it right again. So for the next couple of days and a couple of nights, it would be at home with my own thoughts, dealing with the good and the bad. And, and that's that's the difficult bit when you're a young lad with no guidance, no parents, no, uh, I don't know, mentors or mind coaches. You're just dealing with time on your own and, and your own thoughts. And, and that can be crippling and it can be encouraging and, and helpful. So you've got to be careful what you think about yeah, I mean, I don't like the word hindsight because I think it's an absolute useless word because, it, you know, it's it's just life lessons, isn't it? I see a lot, sometimes these pictures yeah. are posted up of older celebrities or current celebrities with their younger selves. You know, if you had your arm around an 18-year-old Lee Sharp, what would you kind of be saying to him? There's only one thing I would say, and that is uh, you play for Manchester United, you don't play for Alex Ferguson United. So just go out and do what you want to do. You don't, and just because I think I think you know I, I did a psychology course when I was at Leeds, and and that that sort of taught me a lot about conscious, subconscious, and and the way to think and what you think. Uh, and there's a lot of things I've and and people ask me if I've got any regrets of, and would would I be different if if I was going into Manchester United now and Stralix was the manager? And I would say no. I thought because I think you're the best you can be at any given moment in your life and you can only use the tools and and the lessons you've learned so far and you know I, I moved away from home at 16 so it's a really young age to be away from your parents and the guidance of your parents and the, and the backing of your parents um, I moved into a, a pretty ruthless grown-up men's world <laughs> when I was 17 at Old Trafford if, if not at Torquay you know I was, I was playing men's football at 15 um, and, and do I have any regrets? And, and I always say no, because I, I was trying to do the best I could. And even if I'd had a bad game or I'd had a fallout with the manager, I was still not trying to lose two or three days of my life that are quite valuable. I think every day is valuable. Uh, and, and lose two or three days in self-pity or wallowing or worry or panic or stress. I was just trying to enjoy the day and my life as much as I could. Um you know, how much can I work on my game? I worked on my game every day in training. I was never late for training. I never particularly left early. Uh, I put in as much time as I could. When when I wasn't in the game, majority of my time was when mental thought was towards the game and what was coming up at the weekend, what had happened the weekend before. Um, and, and you've got to try and balance life with not only about your performances and what you're doing, but also try and get away from that to empty your brain of football yeah. a little bit so that new thoughts can come in and new ideas can come in. So it's always a balancing act. Yeah, man. I think that that's, you seem so, so content now, you know, and I, I think you're obviously married now to Lucy and there's no point in saying if you'd had her back then would things have been different if we just alluded to, you are now living in the here and now, you're over in Spain to Mega kids, is it Leo and Lily? Are they what three and four now? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> listen, I mean, I've got what five and eight at 41. 
So are you finding it quite full on being a, you know, a daddy and, and as involved as you are? Uh, it, it is full on uh, and it can be exhausting, but it's probably the most enjoyable, exhausting work you can ever do. I mean, yeah. and yesterday I was running around the house playing tag with them both, uh, <laughs> trying to catch the pair of them. And it's just, my missus like, I don't know where you get the energy from. I'm like, I don't. They, they just asked me to chase them. I start chasing them and 20 minutes later, I'm sweating my nuts off and I'm like, right, I need to sit down for a minute. Um, it's great. Uh, I love them. They keep you young. They they do uh, stop you thinking about what's gone on and what's coming up and keep you, like you say, right in the here and now. And if you can get into a kid's mentality and, and be on their wavelength, there's not a lot wrong with life, to be fair. I think they have a, they have a great outlook. And How old is Lucy? Lucy's 36. Come on, mate. You are doing well there, aren't you? So you've got... Oh, Lee. Punching well above the way. Don't worry about yeah, that. Yeah, man. Come on. You've got Lee, Lucy, <laughs> Leo, Lily. So that's L4. Any chance of L5? No, no, mate. I've had the sniff. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> There's an excuse. Too old. Too, too old for that. Too old for three. But as soon as it came out, boy and girl, that was it. It was uh, right, let's get booked in. We're not having any more. I agree, mate. We're exactly the same. <laughs> Good words. <laughs> you're saying you're too old for that, but recently you are over in Spain. You seem nice and settled there, content, as we just said. Um, and you've taken, you've become a golf pro. Yeah, by, by accident a little bit. Uh, I've, I've been sort of threatening for the last, oh, God knows how many years, saying, oh, seniors tour, seniors tour when I'm 50 and, there's a few, uh, there's a few old, older boys, or over fifties, not older boys, but fifty-year-olds and over that have just turned pro in and around me, around Leeds. <clears throat> Clayton Blackmore's tried it from United, um, and I've always said, no, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And when I get fifty, I'll try and work on the game. And and then turned pro by accident last year to try to enter a competition as an amateur. And they said, we've got no amateurs playing. Do you want to pay a bit extra and turn pro? So I went, yeah. And then as soon as you turn pro and played for money. That's your amateur stage is over. So, um, yeah, I'm going I'm to give it a go for the next few years. It's not going to happen overnight. Got a lot of hard work to do, but I love the game. I love the practice. Uh, I love the competition. I love the scariness of the first tee nerves and having to hold your head while you while you're under pressure. Um, so we'll see. It's not. It's like I say. It's not going to happen overnight. I'm not going to turn up next week and win on the European Seniors Tour. I've got to qualify for it. I've got to work on my game in, in all aspects, mental, physical, technical, everything. Um, but it's a, it's a passion of mine. It's something I love. Um, and if I can practice every day and, and play a lot of the time, you know, three or four times a week and have the kids around, then I don't, I don't see uh, much wrong with life. You've got to have a go. Haven't you? You've got to have a go. I don't want to turn around in five years and go, yeah, I, I could have been this. I, I should have done this. I'm going to have a go, live the lifestyle and see where it takes me. I find that intriguing that 30 years on from being a dedicated full-time athlete as a footballer, you're now kind of going again as a golfer, totally, you know, a new discipline, a new talent, a new skill set. Is it, was golf something that you've always played in your, like, you know, your off time, your downtime from playing and it's now become apparent that you're actually pretty decent at it? Uh, yeah, I, start, I started when I was 17 when I got to United. Played with a couple of the, the reserve lads at uh, Eaton Park, of all places. That was with my debut, Jesus. 
That's an <laughs> assault course, not a golf course. Uh, and then, and then moved out to South Manchester when I got to about nineteen. I met a golf pro, became best mates with him for the oh no, best part of 10, 12 years. So played a lot. Uh, the gaffer didn't like us playing too much because he tired your legs out and potentially injured your back. So we'd have to sneak off places to play. Uh, he then, just after, just before I retired from Bradford, he passed away. So I, I, I dropped off, dropped out of the game for a little bit uh, and then picked it up a couple of years later, uh, just playing with friends and then um, got into it a little bit more serious and started getting my handicap down again, playing on the scratch team of, of one of the golf clubs I was at. Um, and, and I've just kept going from there, really. So, well, like I say, well, I, I love the what I love about sport is it's constantly moving. Uh, you, you're never sort of stuck here, sat here going, right, that's it. I've, I've got to the level where I'm at. I can just sit here and just turn up and play. It's always a constant tweaking, improving, getting better. Um, and, and there's so many... So many good good places to educate yourself now out there and, and to play. Uh, I think golf's a growing sport. I think it's a great sport mentally. I think it's a, uh, a microcosm of life, the ups and downs and challenges and peaks and troughs. I think it's uh, it's an amazing game. And, and out in a massive manicured garden for four or five hours a day is a great way to spend your time. It's a great way of looking at it, mate. And it's, I think that, you know, your outlook on life now is such a positive one that... I think that that's, people have got to take a bit of inspiration from that. You know, a bit of a life lesson, isn't it? You just mentioned Clayton Blackmore there. And I remember watching from at home, I was only 11, the Cup Winners' Cup final, 91, against Barca in Rotterdam. And I think that looking back, that is the one away game I would have loved to have attended. You know, I just there's something about that game. I don't know whether it's because Sparky's scoring the two, against his, like, you know, his former club where it didn't quite go right, the rain. But Clayton, uh, somebody cleared one off the line, didn't he? Which was as good as a goal. It's what's, Is that one of your kind of favourite memories? Yeah, but it's funny you should mention that because I, I was the most nervous I'd ever been before a game, before that game. And after the game, I could already remember any of it. And it just came up on my YouTube feed. Uh, yesterday, I watched, I watched some a little highlights, real of it, of that game. That's the first time I've seen it since pretty much we played it. Um and I, I couldn't remember Clayton clearing that ball off the line. I, remember, I saw it yesterday. It was unbelievable clearance. We were under the cosh for the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes where they were they were battering us. Robson was magnificent. Hughes was unbelievable. Uh, he should have squared that goal to me that he smashed into the bottom corner as well. I was stood there waiting for it. Uh, I, I even had a chance myself that I didn't even remember that uh, the Luton I tried to volley in and just put it wide. So I think that, that game was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, we went out to see the pitch as we do before a game, hour and a half, two hours before the game, and the place was rampacked with the United fans. I think we had half the stadium, maybe three quarters of the stadium, fully United fans, um, lashing down the rain, proper English night. There were flares, flags, banners, a, a real, real old school European night. Uh, and to go and beat Barcelona, um, I think really kick the club on and kick the players on with the confidence that we could go on and, and win things and win more. And that was an unbelievable night for everyone involved. And it because was spectacular. You, you were just on the cusp really in 19... I don't think you were in the squad in 1990, were you? Against Palace in the 3-3 and then the replay, the Lima. I was injured. 
Right. I was I was injured, so Lee Martin played. Yeah, I had, uh, I think I had a hurt, yeah. and, I, and I missed the sort of lap. I missed a couple. Uh, yeah, I missed, I, missed, I think I missed most of the. I think I missed most of the FA Cup run. I missed from like January through to the end of the season with a couple of issues. Um, so yeah, uh, to get into the the cup cup final against Barcelona the year after in the cup of this cup was just what what a neat, what a night what a trip it was just superb. So because there was the FA Cup ninety then the Cup Winners' Cup 91, then the League Cup 92, when we lost out to Leeds in the final kind of, you know, old Division 1, and then we kick on to the Premier League and have the dominance. Could you could you sense then you were on the cusp as, like, greatness? I, th- I think we knew something was building. I, I think I think the FA Cup win, then the Cup Winners' Cup win, um, and then we, we obviously lost the first... Um, we lost the last first division to Leeds... And I, and I think we were, we were probably favourites to win it. Uh, and I think the start of the next season, the start of the Premier League, not only did the manager get up, but obviously do his usual um, start of the season, new challenge, this, that and the other. After he left, Robson stood up and went, listen, we know we know how it hurt last year to get beat by Leeds. It's starting then again this year. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to win the league this year. And, um, you know, the, the lads... It got twitchy bum time at the end again. It got testing at the end, but we managed to pull it off and that was the start of the roll, really. The Blackburn game when we'd, we'd won and, and I heard you speak about not being involved in Bruce's party, that we all kind of, we end up watching it on the captain's log. They had like a bizarre kind of documentary on it, didn't they? That you can watch you now on YouTube. And you said that you went to Old Trafford with your mum and dad and you didn't end up being part of that party. Then the game again, that was on the Sunday when Villa had got beat by Oldham, was it? And then on the Monday, right, yeah. you know, we we play Blackburn. That's one of my best nights as a United fan. My brother, as I said, was a ball boy. So my dad had his ticket that to accompany him by. Then my mum and my brother sat in the uh, on the south stand. And then I was in a K-stand paddock because that's the Stratford was being knocked down then, wasn't it? And being rebuilt. And I just remember yeah. you know, one of before mum and dad split up, it was one of the best nights. But it was was it a bit of tinge of sadness when you got dragged at half-time for Robson. I knew I was getting dragged. I knew it. He said, before the game, just as we were going out, he said, uh, and one of you will become, one of your unlucky ones will be coming up at half-time so Robson can have a run out. And I walked out and I, and I said, oh, I wonder who that'll be as I walked out to him and Lo and behold. I, was, I just knew I was coming off. But do you know when you come off then, did you want to be involved in the game or, because you could look at that, that you could just sit back and take in the celebrations and, you know, watch. But you wanted to play, though. I mean, imagine being a being a player. Yeah, of course I did. I, I, just, I just wanted to play. I, was, I didn't want to soak in any celebration. I just wanted to play and be there at the end. But <clears throat> obviously after, not after the Blackburn game because it was kind of a unique moment, wasn't it? When Pally kind of pinged in that free kick at the end. It was just you know he was <laughs> yeah. the only he was the only outfield player not to score that season, wasn't he? And he who, who puts him on a free. You know, I mean, he did. He did. He, he wasn't supposed to be on it. He's like, get out of the way, lads. I'm having this. This is the only chance I've got. I'm not scored. I'm having it. And when it when it when it bounced about four times and bobbled into the bottom corner, we thought, oh, yeah, luck's with you today, Pally. You're all right. But Pally was one of your mates. Him and Keeney were your kind of boozing partners, were they? That time. <laughs> yeah. 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 Both both great. Um, Different characters, obviously, but we were we were the three single lads, and 
we'd sort of go out for a drink after a game midweek and chat about the game and uh, the manager would call us in and bollock us and say, listen, why can't you go home and have a drink? We were like, sat at home on our own. We've got no wives and kids to go home to. What do you expect us to do? Um, but no, nah, I mean, great, great band to the pair of them. Um, Keeney's really funny. Pally, really bright and intellectual. Uh, they both wound each other up to high heaven to, to nearly fighting a lot of the time when I had to be the mediator. Um, but great lads, great company. Um, had a great time with them. We were in Lolf one time. Remember Lolf on the locks in town? And uh, Pat, yeah. Pally, was, Pally was in there with a few of the lads, I think, Sheringham, you might have been there yourself. Um, Wiggs's brother again, Craggs, went over to Pally and went, fucking hell, mate. He said, you look just like Gary Pallister. And he was like, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And he went, but there's no way Pallister would wear a fucking shirt like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm with him. We did used to give him a bit of his clobber to refer. <laughs> so, listen, a quick few favourites before we wrap it up, bud. You said, you know, your favourite goal, you know, in and amongst quite a few there. Um, we just mentioned Rotterdam. What's probably your favourite United? Or what was your favourite footballing moment? From my time at United? Well, you, any time, mate. It can be anything you want. Oh, God. Oh, too many. Uh, favourite footballing moment? Um, Peter with shinning it in off the post to win the European Cup for Aston Villa is one of my favourite moments. It's, but I love that because you're saying that as a fan. You know what I mean? And, G- and Jimmy Rimmer, and Jimmy Rimmer having to get substituted, and Nigel Spink coming on and pulling off a couple of worldies. Man, that's brilliant that you kind of say that. What? So what? What the people would want to know is like personally, playing wise, your your you know because it sometimes it sounds like United was a dark time, but it was a very successful time for you, mate, wasn't it? Mate, it was it was a sensational time and. You know, the, the team were doing well. Manchester as a city was was growing and was just buzzing. Um, the music, you know, we had the Hacienda, we had all, all the clubs, the, the clubs and the music was unbelievable. Um, so so for me, I mean, being in Manchester, oh my God, um, so many things happened. Didn't it? I mean, obviously I made my debut at 17. I played for England at 19. I scored a hat-trick at Highbury, which was sensational. Um Home and away, I scored against Leeds in the semi-final of the cup. Um, I scored against Liège Warsaw uh, in the semi-final of the European Cupners Cup. Um, we won the league for the first time in 26, 27 years. A um, couple of doubles. Did you play, did you play did. in the Super League Cup? Year after? No, I was, that I was nil injured. Nil. I was injured. That was at Old Trafford. That was an absolute ball fest of a game, wasn't it? Oh, it was on the muddiest pitch ever and the guy in midfield just went around floating, nutmegging everyone. It was ridiculous. There was this guy, I can't remember what he was called, like uh, Ivanovic or Isavicevic or he was, a, he was a, like an Eastern European that played Red Star Belgrade and he went on to play for AC Milan, I think. And um, he was just incredible. He nutmegged everybody. He nutmegged Incy about four times. The pitch was a mud bath and he just sort of glided over the surface of it. It was unbelievable, but... I, yeah, I didn't play that. that. I mean, an absolute nil-nil ball fest from the stretch for them for me. Yeah, it was a bit. Uh, so right. So yeah. your favourite moments there. What about your favourite kit? Favourite kit has got to be the black Bucam shop Bucam. Without shadow of a doubt. I mean, that's kind of a quiz question, isn't it? Like players who played the name on the front and the back of the shirt. I think. 
you and David Marr. Yeah, it's funny because like my, my, my brother was a young lad at City. My, my brother was a young lad at City, and they were sponsored by Brother. So we had a photo taken at one point, Brother <laughs> Sharp, Brother. It was quite amusing, quite fitting. Because I think that the the Arsenal Rumbleholes Cup has kind of come synonymous, hasn't it? That kit is probably the greatest United kit of all time. And if Cantona had jumped into the crowd, then maybe the sharp view cam one would have stuck with you on that Villa night as well. Yeah, possibly. I think he's nicked that and hit the black kit. With the... To be fair, I think he got sent off a couple of times. I scored, I scored two at Hybrid on another occasion and he got sent off and he got all the headlines again. I shouldn't like him really, should I? Yeah, he did. <laughs> he's hard not to like though, the business, I imagine. I suppose he's got an, like an infectious or about him, you know, people have related to it, about his kind of influence in the dressing room and stuff like that. And you can just see now you speaking about him, you've got a real fond affection from him. I think that United fans will absolutely love that. That was awesome. Listen, man, listen, wrapping up, you have done you have done the nothing to promote quiz. I wish you'd only got five. Oh, why? Have I got more than five? You got six. I oh. wish you'd got five, though, just to kind of do so you got six so you're at the bottom of the table mate but you know you can do no wrong in my eyes and just going full circle we started you've got to be strong to hold everybody else up aren't you at the bottom that's the thing that's I, I, it, I had about, ten, I had but, about I mean, 10 minutes I had about 10 minutes to be fair and uh, I, I was I was struggling to get the yeah. six <laughs> but you, you're a busy man over there full time dadding full time <laughs> golfing full-time just enjoying yourself I've got them knocking on the door now after trying to get in. We started, that this is episode number five. In less than four weeks, you turned the big 5-0. You know, just, how, how do you kind of just see that? Reaching a half century, we've we've spoke about the contentment. You're still smiling. You're still, <laughs> you're still looking back upon, with fondness upon your career. And I think there's like still plenty to come I hope on this, on this new venture over in Spain. Is there anything else you want to add there, bud? Uh, no, mate. I think that's. Uh, I think life is uh, life is what you make it, isn't it? And we've uh, <clears throat> we've we've took the risk and took the big step of trying to come over here and live in the sunshine and give the kids the best life. Uh, I'm here to to practice and play golf. I'm also doing a bit of bit of CBD to help your uh, anxiety and help you sleep if you fancy sending you some over. Um, so yeah, oh, mate, things are, I would look. Things are good. I'm just intrigued by that. Just, just picking you up on that. Just tell us about the CBD, pal. Do you, have you found now that that's something that's really helpful in in kind of golf and everyday life for you? And getting a little bit older. Yeah, uh, uh, to, to, to be fair, I was a, a little bit sceptical at first, but I have to say, um, as far as sort of clearing your head a little bit and calming your mind down, uh, helping you sleep helping aches and pains because it's an anti-inflammatory, uh, just all round. I, I, I was surprised to find out actually the other day, it, it actually, CBD in the UK sells more than vitamin C and vitamin D combined in the UK. So it's obviously growing. Uh, and, and I think it's uh, it's going to be here for a while. You think that eventually it'll be part of footballing medicine? I think it will be. I, I, I don't see why not. I think, I think the... the the sort of good stuff it has in it, the, the anti-inflammatory and helping with anxiety, people feeling under pressure. Um, you know, there's a high, high pressure sports people. I think all will, uh, will will like to take it. I think it's um, and, and 
the, the good night's sleep you get on it, I think is, is invaluable as a sportsman. Right, top man, maybe I'll try a bit of that, pal. When I'm back on stage and trying some boy band dance routines, I'm going to need some shit like that, I can tell you. Mate, you are definitely going to need some of that when you get that older, mate. <laughs> Listen, boy, um, but I've got to say, I joked at the beginning of it at the top, never meet your heroes. You've been an absolute legend. You know, thanks for being honest, open, and always... You know, so modest about everything that you've achieved and everything you've come through, and every, everywhere you're going as well, man. I think everybody listening will wish you well. Thank you from a United fan. I suppose I speak on behalf of a lot of us for giving us so many smiles, so many memories, and so many me- celebrations. You know, we can't thank you enough for that, mate. And we just wish you well. Thanks for promoting absolutely nothing, dude. Hey, mate. Thank you for having us on. Uh, sorry about the technical issues, um, but th- thanks for your patience and uh, cheers for the chat, mate. It's been been really good and uh thanks to all the fans out there listening because uh you know without them we'd have nothing would we so uh it was a sensational time to be there sensational club to be at with some unbelievable people and players around the place uh, and I'm, I'm just glad i got to be a part of it so thanks for uh thanks for listening to me stories top man absolute mate. legend mate listen you enjoy yourself nice one you soon. wow what a guy and what a story. Um, it was hard to pin Chappie down with him being over in Spain. But I'm so glad I did. Somebody once said you should never meet your heroes. Whoever said that obviously never met Lee Sharp. And as he goes off doing the Sharpie shuffle into the Spanish sunset. <laughs> Try saying that after a night out with him. Then so do we. And we'll see you soon. Before we do, we're going to leave you with a bit more Dirty Circus. Check them out. Keep sharing to your friends. Keep smiling. And as Sharpie said, don't take life too seriously because you'll never get out alive. Have a good one. See you soon. See you next time when somebody's got absolutely nothing to promote. Take it easy. <laughs>